Before we start today, I wanted to tell you about a brand new report intended for modern day marketers who talk in this report all about how they're focusing on less but better content. I love it. Quality over quantity. Love this report. Love that idea. We need more of that in the marketing world. This report comes from our sponsor, The Juice, and specifically led by their VP of Marketing, Brett McGrath. I've created a short link where you can find the guide no form fill required. How refreshing. You can literally just click the link, get the blog post, the podcast episode where Brett talks about it, and also a direct link to the PDF. You don't have to fill out any forms. Amazing. The link is in your show notes, but it's also bit.ly slash quality juice. Bit.ly slash quality juice. Maybe we can turn down the volume and turn up the quality. Visit that link in your show notes or type in bit.ly slash quality juice. And thanks to the juice for sponsoring. No, no. Nope. Uh-uh, nope. <laughs> Lurking everywhere in our work are these internal voices, these barriers we grapple with that aren't the external things that we often willingly talk about with others. No, this isn't about budget or time or team, all the stuff we seem just so prone to complaining about. It's not a social platform's algorithm or which tool we should pick. I'm talking about something else, something more hidden, something we're maybe scared to talk about, something far more insidious that we all face, no matter how new or experienced we are, or how much others might think we're a success. I'm talking about Maker Monsters. Maybe, like me, you have a serious perfectionist streak, which affects the big stuff, sure, but even colors how many music tracks you're going to sort through at the top of an episode just to get it right, whatever right actually means in this line of work. Or maybe you grapple with another maker monster like imposter syndrome or fear of rejection. These are some of the maker monsters that we addressed through the stories of lots of creators willing to share their experiences in our first two episodes about these dastardly demons. If you missed any of that, go back and find the episodes titled Maker Monsters and Maker Monsters 2. This one is Maker Monsters 3. Okay, so not the most inventive name, I get it, but we are about to face a monster that is as ubiquitous, as damaging, as conniving as any. Today we confront this stress we all feel to be more original. Are we? Can we? Will we ever do anything original? And in the world of work, we might hear this said a different way, because the monster throws on some hipster glasses, quaffs its hair, throws on a nice button-up shirt, and goes by another name. Differentiation. That doesn't make you any better, you son of a beast. It's harmful, it's hurtful, it's time to beat it. It's unthinkable. Stories of people who break from conventional thinking to make what matters most. 
questioning best practices to create work that resonates. Exploring why work resonates and how ours can too. Uh, Which of these will make the show sound more original? I'm Jay Akunzo. All right, so as always with our Maker Monster episodes, we're going to use a travel metaphor to set us up. Imagine that you see a mountain peak in the distance. Whatever you're trying to achieve, that is your mountain peak, your mission, your goals, even just the ability to create something in this world that finally matches what was in your head when you started. But standing in the way of you and me and our respective mountain peaks is a jungle. We're trying to hack away at that jungle, not knowing exactly which path to go down. And that's largely because there is no path. There's no one right way. And hacking away at the jungle, that's the creative process, our our bodies of work. But I think we can find comfort in the fact that nobody runs down a nice, clear path start to finish to reach the mountain peak. All over this jungle, along with us, are all kinds of creative individuals, many of whom we might admire or learn from. And they're also hacking away, trying to figure out how to get to their own mountain peaks in the distance. And lurking everywhere, for all of us, are these maker monsters. Today, we meet three very successful people tangled up with a terrible monster, even still. And that monster makes us wonder, it makes them wonder, are we enough? Are we unique? Are we worthy to be creating and putting our own work out into the world? And how do we not get overwhelmed thinking about that differentiation idea, given all the noise around us? So overwhelmed, by the way, that now we've opened the door to all the other monsters that might plague us to creep in. Are we differentiated? Such a common monster for people to experience, regardless of their level of success or fame or their track record. And that's what we'll hear about today, thanks to our generous friends who give us a peek into their experience of this monster. All right, enough hovering above the jungle. Let's dive under the tree line and confront one big old ugly monster. I feel like my my maker monster is always like, what could I possibly add of value to this conversation? That's Kudzia Naki, a lawyer, activist, and host of the podcast Down to the Struts. Down to the Struts is a show about the intersection of disability, design, and policy. Kudzia is a big supporter of adaptive sports, which are sports for people with disabilities. In addition to all her other work, she serves on the board of two sport-related nonprofits that serve the metro D.C. area. I constantly struggle with the idea of whether or not we are different enough to stand out. That's the voice of marketing and media entrepreneur Joe Polizzi. Joe is one of the most recognizable and known names in marketing, having been dubbed the godfather of content marketing. For his last company, the Content Marketing Institute, he basically coined the name of the entire industry, and that helped launch his education company for marketers back then before selling it several years later in a very lucrative exit. Joe has written seven books, and today he hosts two weekly podcasts, which I highly recommend, This Old Marketing and Content Inc., We find Joe at the beginning of a new venture, a new media and education company, this time for content creators called The Tilt. We'll spend some time with both these creators for a moment. To get started, let's go to Kutsia. If I were to describe my maker monster, I think the thing that often holds me back from creative projects, whether they be 
projects that are more academic. Uh, I've done some academic work in my role as a lawyer and, and thought about, you know, writing law review articles and things like that for academic journals. And I've never actually been successful in doing that. Um, I was successful in creating my podcast, but the thing that I had to push through when I was um, trying to create my podcast is the same thing that has held me back from other sorts of creative academic pursuits. And that is this this fear of unoriginality, this, this questioning that I always have in my mind of how is my voice or my perspective adding value to this conversation? We're focusing on this area of the creator economy. We've really tried to uh, build out a category called content entrepreneurship. That's Joe Polizzi again, talking about his education company, The Tilt, which helps content creators learn how to become content entrepreneurs. But is that idea original enough? We feel that the content entrepreneur is a differentiating term and we can run with that. But I'm always concerned that it's not different enough because there is so much content competition in the creator economy space right now. When I when I sit down to start a project, I often look around me and I think that already exists or how how can I enhance that conversation? I don't think I can. What what perspective or point of view do I have that's original and different and complementary to these other points of view or experiences? And so that really holds me back a lot often from creative projects because I just feel this sense of paralysis because I'm not creating original content or original ideas. And therefore, in my mind, I think, well, if I'm not doing that, I may as well not say anything at all. In my body, I just feel really, um, really paralyzed. And I feel this sort of from from an emotional standpoint, I think it's the same thing. I just, I feel sort of numbed out and not able to to move forward or to articulate my points of view because I'm so afraid of, I'm afraid of what I'm contributing kind of falling flat and just the seizing up mentally, emotionally, physically, the creativity kind of drains out. I would create all these like to-do lists and these timelines and I would I would make a plan for myself and then I would feel frozen in trying to execute it and then I would just do other things or not sit down and work on my project and I I just I think that's that's a real sign that the maker's monster for me has has, has really come through because I'll make all the plans and I'll I'll be I'll have worked through the logistics of how to do something but I'm just so afraid to do the thing itself like I'm so paralyzed from putting down my ideas on paper and I'm very self-judging so so how do we move from an idea in our minds to the actual work others experience Katsia is grappling with how to enter a new creative world that she wants to be a part of that is what's causing her maker monster to grip her Joe Polizzi is in a bit of a different situation so this is not my first merry-go-round if you will. This is my my fourth business that I've started. And you would think that after a very successful exit at Content Marketing Institute, it would be a lot different in building an audience and then monetizing that audience as, as we content entrepreneurs do. But it's I got all the same fears and concerns and the feeling that we're not doing enough or we're not focused on the right people. And really what it comes down to to kind of get over all those things is to set the schedule and do the work 
and not fall into the trap of wanting to rush it. The best way to write, I have found, as I've learned how to push through this maker maker monster, is you just have to kind of get into a flow. You just start writing without self-judgment. You just you just put words onto the page and you make a loose outline, you start to flush it out and you just don't judge yourself and you keep typing. Um, and I know my maker's monster maker monster has taken hold when I stop typing, when I, I'm afraid to put down any word because I think to myself, someone else has already said this or, you know, this isn't really interesting or people aren't going to care about my perspective. And I think that that's when I know it's there is that I'm, I'm trying to do the thing. I'm trying to uh, create a space for myself to um, develop a piece of work. But then when it comes down to the substance of it, I, I can't do it. One project that helped Katsia learn to overcome this internal barrier was her podcast, Down to the Struts. Hi, this is Katsia Naki, and welcome to season four of Down to the Struts, the podcast about disability, design, and intersectionality. We're so excited to bring you six new episodes featuring guests who will share their insights about the building blocks for a more accessible, inclusive world. The first three guests of our new season. I think the I think the podcast really opened me up and pushed me, like you know, pushed the the maker monster under the bed. Because once I decided to do that, and I I just kind of like took the steps to do it, and I I I realized that I wasn't being unoriginal, that I was contributing, and I was getting really positive feedback. At first, when I was looking into the podcast, I was, oh, I thought to myself, and the same thoughts started creeping in, you know, there's a million disabled people that have podcasts. What could mine do that's any good, you know, any or anything like that? And, you know, I emailed Alice Wong, who was the the OG disabled podcaster. And, you know, she wrote me back immediately and was really supportive and said, yes, you should do this. Yes, I will support you. Yes, I will connect you with people. And that was really motivating that. And I was like, oh, wow, like this isn't a thing that's just going to fall flat. It's not a thing that someone's already said before. You know, I can put my own spin on it. And I think that really that really helped me a lot. As a result of her personal projects, clients started coming to her to ask if she could write for them on a freelance basis. That, she said, was a sign. Oh, okay. I'm saying things that are original and like not that I like, you know, you shouldn't thrive off of other people validating you all the time, but you get that external validation when people are like, "I like what you're saying. I want you to do this or that or the other thing." So I think for someone like me who's been really self-judging and self-critical and and really uh, paralyzed in trying to create for much of their life. Like, I, I think that was the, the, the push that I needed. During the pandemic, Kudsia found her normally frenetic work and travel schedules greatly reduced. She had more time and more ability to think about what she really wanted to do with her schedule. And so she decided to address a frustration that she'd felt for a while. That's how so much resonant work is born, I think. We've talked about this often on the show. It starts with frustration. We see a problem that we can't stand, and then we turn that frustration into curiosity and questions 
launch an investigation, and create all the while. Frustration leads to curiosity, leads to creativity. In this way, creativity is a form of leadership. We make things that make a difference, that make something better in the lives of those we serve. And that is why we resonate with them. As for the difference that Kudsia wanted to make... I was born with a degenerative eye condition that resulted in vision loss over time. And I, you know, gradually sort of became part of the community of disabled people and disability issues, issues of disability rights and disability justice became really important to me. And I, in this time that I had, I thought, you know, I want to contribute to this conversation and to the advocacy and the work that people are doing around building disability awareness. And I love podcasts. Uh, I love audio storytelling. I always have. And I thought, why don't I start a podcast? I feel like this is a medium that I feel really comfortable with. I like doing interviews. I love asking people questions. I'm a very, you know, I really enjoy that process. Plus, as a lawyer, she's interested in policy and how to make our systems better for more people. So the show would be a kind of Venn diagram overlap of her skills and interests, a show about disability, design, and policy. Perfect. Down to the Struts is a project that could be uniquely hers, a true original. Or, wait a minute, hold up. Is it? I... I started to feel the monster coming on as soon as I was hatching this plan. You know, I... I started doing research into other disabled podcasters and I was like, oh, there's a lot of these folks around and uh, someone else has probably done what I'm thinking about doing. And I just uh, was really feeling that that feeling of how am I differentiating? How am I being original coming through those fears? And I decided to, uh, you know, one of the, the most preeminent disabled podcasters at the time that I was starting my podcast was a person called Alice Wong, uh, who, who started the disability visibility project. And, you know, I just thought, oh, she's already like, you know, it was an interview style show. You know, she was interviewing different disabled creatives and different types of talking about lots of different issues, some of which overlap with issues I was interested in and some which didn't. Um, so I decided to email her and say, Hey, Hey, I'm thinking about starting this this podcast. What do you think? Do you have any advice? And I had zero expectation that this person was going to write me back. You know, it was just a cold email into the ether. And I thought, you know, let's see what she says. And she replied. She sent her resources and a few words of encouragement. And for Kutsia, that was enough. Not only enough to produce a show, but to realize, hold up, there's room for all at the table. There's room for all. This isn't about capturing a slice of an existing pie. And so I better be so original that I overtake the others out there doing work that competes with mine. This is about contributing my voice to an ever-growing pie. And yes, over time, figuring out as I go how to harness my voice by learning what's original about it, about me. Learning what I can uniquely create in this world. You know, once you put yourself out there, you know, because of the podcast, I wasn't very big on social media before the podcast. And once I I knew that when I had the podcast, I had to have a Twitter, I had to have an Instagram, I had to have a presence on Facebook. I had to really be out there. I think the monster was sort of replaced by 
this feeling of, oh my gosh, I have a platform that I just built. You know, this really awesome sense of responsibility of representing your community, of representing yourself in a way that feels authentic, in a way that feels genuine. And people are reading, listening to what I'm putting out there. And that comes with a feeling of fear of, you know, being rejected or being canceled or, you know, that's something I struggle with still. But I feel like it's not so much a barrier. It doesn't stay in my hand. Let's go back to Joe Polizzi, the veteran author and entrepreneur. As a reminder, Joe's currently leading the media and education company for creators, The Tilt. Joe's doing something kind of meta, just like I do, actually. He's making things for makers. He's a content entrepreneur creating for other content entrepreneurs. As he builds his new business, a lot of entrepreneurs are building theirs. So naturally, Joe is very aware of the problems facing his audience that he absolutely has to address himself. What a lot of content creators, content entrepreneurs will do is they'll say, this is not working. I'm going to have to move from the podcast and I'm going to have to do the YouTube thing and then the TikTok thing. And then let's try blogging. And they just take all these tactics and try to throw out as much content as possible instead of saying, okay, what's my core platform? Let's say in this case, it's the podcast. How can I make this the best podcast in this particular niche to this particular audience and focus on that? So really, instead of doing more, what we want to do is focus on how to be great at less. Very, very challenging for a content entrepreneur to do this, but that's what we have to do. At The Tilt, we have an email newsletter that we send out twice a week. Very, very easy for us to say, hey, let's start doing the video series. Hey, let's uh, let's add another podcast to the mix. Hey, let's do some virtual events. We have expertise on the team to do all these things. We could absolutely do them, but to what end? To what end? Too many channels, too many ideas, too many things we could be doing often masquerading as things we should be doing. The monster creeps in. Are we differentiated enough? Are we original enough, unique enough? Well, so often, the question then has to become, are we focused enough? Without the focus, we have no hope of being original. Are we focused on a channel, a project, a problem, a community, an idea, a tilt to our content? Are we focused enough? Because if we're not asking that question, following our concerns of differentiation, if we're not actually going to focus, then it's going to be really hard to ever be original enough. It's hard to be potent and delicious if you constantly water yourself down. There's another person I'd like you to meet who's also grappling with this same maker monster. Her name is Marie Poulin. Marie is an absolute force of nature. Tens of thousands of people follow her on social media and her YouTube channel to learn more about how to organize their businesses and their workflow, specifically in the popular app called Notion. Marie's course, Notion Mastery, and her surrounding education products and content have helped her build a multi-million dollar business for herself and a growing team. 
And although the company isn't named after Marie, and it's not just her working on the business, it's definitely all dependent on her being a teacher and public figure. So for Marie, the stakes are high and keep getting higher. The list of projects is long and keeps getting longer. And of course, the internal dynamics of a team and all that goes with it keep getting more complicated. So naturally, all that stuff swirling in her universe, plus all the excitement and momentum and intrinsic motivation she feels, can cause Marie to overcommit. I get really excited by ideas. I sign up for all sorts of things. I'll be taking multiple courses at the same time. Um, I've got, you know, commitments to create content across all these different channels and have the best intentions, but the follow through ends up suffering because there's just too many burners. There's just too many things on my plate. I mean, I know it inherently when I've done this, right? Even sometimes I'll be saying yes to a thing, fully knowing that I'm not going to be able to execute on it. And so it's really about catching it in the moment and noticing I don't have room to add another thing to my plate because my other creative work is going to suffer. So I can sort of feel it in my gut that I'm starting to add too much to my plate. And I know that if I already suspect I'm busy, I'm probably already way too busy to be saying yes to another thing. So part of me kind of knows, but there's it gets overridden by all of this excitement. And we have not built what we would call our minimum viable audience yet. Our minimum viable audience for us is to reach 10,000 opt-in, real opt-in email subscribers. We're not at that point yet. We've uh, been in existence now for four to five months. So we have to get to that point. I've told the team that once we get to that point, then we can start looking at diversification issues. So the one thing that we're trying to do to overcome that fear that we're not different enough is really focus on narrowing the audience. And it seems that our audience skews older. Uh, They're, let's say, more seasoned, more mature, and they're not influencers. They seem to be uh, content creators that have been around for a while that have a little bit of money to spend, uh, but they're struggling on building an audience or generating the kind of revenue that they really want to. Maybe it's this middle class of content creators that you talk about, Jay. But that's kind of where we're looking to adjust So I think that we've got the right message, but I'm not sure that we're focusing on a niche enough audience. So that's what we're kind of do to get over that. Here is Marie Poulin again. I do notice sometimes when I I can tell that I've overcommitted and the sort of burnout is imminent, I will start doing these sort of addictive behaviors like scrolling on my phone, definitely checking out, you know, my social feeds and Reddit threads or, you know, other things that just are not necessarily helpful, but I think it's a way of, of numbing the discomfort of knowing that I've overcommitted and that I'm probably going to have to either tap out, I'm going to have to say no to people, I'm going to have to disappoint someone or disappoint myself. And it's sort of an avoidant behavior to, to sort of spend time doing something else and pretend that it doesn't exist. So in some ways, it's a form of uh, procrastination. Really, it's avoidance. Maybe that's like the sidekick to the main monster we're talking about today. You know, the the bumbling lackey that so many Disney villains seem to have by their side. Our core maker monster is this fear of being unoriginal. But by its side is this smaller goofball that almost accidentally screws stuff up. You know the feeling, I'm sure. Here comes another YouTube rabbit hole, another email we send to an expert to pick their brain 
another guide that we download, course that we take, book that we buy, and probably never read. More scrolling on social media and, of course, more publishing more of our work in more places, instead of being better at just one or two channels. It's avoidance at its finest and dumbest. We want to separate from the noise. We know what we have to do, and we just don't do it. But rather than doing the hard emotional labor of figuring out what makes us unique, we just add more noise to the world. We add more stuff to our plates internally or publish more things externally, and we call it productive. It does feel like work, doesn't it? Ship more pieces on more channels. I think more productive, though, is to think about our positioning, think about our idea, work on the intellectual property, that tough emotional labor that causes something to show up in the world as an original. But there we go again, adding more to our plate, too many ideas and channels and side hustles. We battle with avoidance instead of facing the real monster, a fear of being unoriginal and what it might take to differentiate. But here's an idea or maybe a mantra that you can take with you. Do fewer things better. Here's Marie Poulin again, talking about taking an online course as yet another thing she's added to her plate. It didn't take long, probably within a week, where I realized just how big the commitment was. I realized this was going to take, you know, several hours on several days of a week on top of the actual follow through and homework. And I was already pretty full with projects anyway. So just knowing the time it takes to learn and integrate something, it's a pretty substantial commitment. And it wasn't the only course that I had on my plate. And it certainly wasn't the only project that I had on my plate. So I could already start to feel after week one that I was pretty spent. And by the time the weekends would hit, I was just like, how am I going to pull this off? Do I tap out? Do I take the foot off the gas? Do I just kind of coast a little bit? Yeah, I made a little bit of progress and I had other people that I was collaborating with on this. And I think that's why it gets tricky is the accountability of working with other people is super helpful. It's super important to me. And there is that element of not wanting to let other people down. So, you know, you end up showing up because you don't want to let people down, but at the cost of your own wellness and uh, needs, really. In the end, I had to acknowledge that this was my own doing. It was my own decision, and I had a choice in the matter. And I had to look at the consequences. I had to weigh the pros and cons of continuing to do the project or to back out or to, you know, to kind of take a little bit of a break. And I needed to do that. So I I decided I didn't have to attend every session. I didn't have to do all the homework. It would not be the end of the world if I did not do everything on the schedule that was set by the course. I had access to the course after it was over. There was no reason why I couldn't just take a step back, take a deep breath, and take care of myself for a little bit and really tune into what was it that I was trying to get at the end of the day? Like, why did why was I even signing up for this in the first place? Another recommendation that has really helped in my personal life is the idea of writing down my goals and reviewing those goals on a daily basis. For example, it is very easy for any entrepreneur, for any content creator to get up in the morning and check Twitter or Facebook or Instagram or email or whatever it is. The first thing that you really need to do is review your goals. I know it sounds weird, but if you do this every day, you won't be as apt to do the things 
that are unproductive. So I want to get up in the morning. And this is what we did. I did this starting in 2008. And I had this crazy, crazy goal. And I got up every morning and it read that in 2015, my wife and I sell our business for more than $15 million. And by the way, when I wrote this goal, we did that year, I think something like $60,000 in revenue. So just put that into perspective for a little bit. And I would get up every morning and I would read that goal. And what it would do is it would get me focused on the things that would push me toward that goal. Now, again, this is a seven-year-away goal at this point. But I was like, how can I add value today to reach that goal? It's not by streaming through uh, you know, what's on Netflix or on Facebook. By the way, those are all fine things for your downtime. And if you need relaxation, that's great. But especially not first thing in the morning and not while you're trying to accomplish a very audacious goal. So my recommendation is write those goals down and then separate those goals into different categories. Obviously, you might have a career wealth goal. You might have a spiritual goal. You might have a physical goal. You might have a mental goal. Like one of my mental goals is to read two non-business books every month. And to do that, it really expands what I'm trying to do from an individual perspective and doesn't keep me so narrowly focused on what I'm trying to do with the business. And I can actually have uh, conversations with people <laughs> when I'm not just focused on uh, you know, creating content all the time. So write those down. Make them measurable if you can. Like I said, two books per month, very measurable, something that I can see how I'm doing on a progress standpoint. Then read those goals in the morning and then once before you turn in at night. It will change your world. You got to do this probably for about 60 days. The, the research says 66 days to form a habit. And I believe that that sounds about right to me. It feels about right. So review that in the morning. Review that goal in the evening. And it will get you set. And by the way, the reason why you review it in the evening is that your brain subconsciously works toward that goal if you leave that with the final thought as you go to sleep at night uh got a wacky maybe but man does it work and by the way of that goal that that i read 2008 selling the company for more than 15 million dollars we realized that goal in 2016 so a year later than what we wanted to but it absolutely works and uh, now that I'm starting a new company at the Tilt, you know, we're, we're doing the same thing and I'm still reading out those goals. I think any advice I would have around this would be to, one, is to, to make a list of criteria for what makes it through the gate. What projects do you get to say yes to and, and what criteria do you have to hit? So it might be that it has to be creatively challenging or creatively rewarding, that there are really interesting sort of network opportunities that come from it. It's got to be personally fulfilling, impactful on the world in some way. I have to be able to have the energy available to follow through on it. So don't say yes if you've already got a foot out the door or you're already kind of thinking about squeezing it in the cracks of other projects. It has to be a whole body yes. So I would say create your own criteria if you struggle with the overcommitment side of things is to and ask ask yourself what would it look like to only book yourself up 80%? Right? Instead of booking up every single hour we've got on the calendar, what if we only booked up to 80%? 
chances are your calendar is still going to be full because if you are an overcommitter, you're you're already saying yes to way more than you should. So scaling back is not going to be a bad thing for you. And so I'm really asking myself every time a new opportunity pops up that maybe it's time sensitive, I have to slow down and ask myself, yes, this is exciting. Yes. Okay, fine. But does this meet all of the criteria and does taking this project on is it actually going to energize me or is it going to take energy away? And do I have that energy to give right now? And if not, it has to be a no or it has to be a not right now. I go back at all all the time to the example of when Warren Buffett met Bill Gates and they were asked to write down the most important thing that's helped them on their successful journey in one word, and they both wrote down focus. So if we can do that as content entrepreneurs, we can get over a lot of these things that are blocking our path. It's okay if you need to look outside yourself for that little nudge. If you are possessed of the same maker monster that I am, Use your network, use your mentors, use your friends, bounce ideas and collaborate. The way I would describe it is that I sort of collaborated my way out of my monster being in charge. And that's how I sort of took hold of my creative process and was able to to move forward is that I, I found an energy and a a sense of purpose in the collaboration because once I had, you know, I had an audio producer and someone who volunteered a friend of mine to do all the social media and the website. And I found a couple of college students who were interested and really wanted to help out. And then I had this little team and I had gotten, you know, the, the sort of blessing or, or support of another disabled podcaster. That feeling of collaboration and synergy really, really, really like helped me to validate what I was doing and, and really helped me to push through my monster. So I think don't be afraid to look to your networks, look to your mentors, look to the people that you trust when you have an idea and bounce it off. You know, it might change, it might morph because of someone else's feedback or someone else's thoughts, but it will ultimately become better. Um, so, so I would say collaborate your way out. We have to get real with ourselves about what we're doing when we're over committing and how you are preventing yourself from doing your best work when you are spread so thin. We have to be ruthlessly committed to the essentials and what matters. And we have to be so clear on what what our mission is, what our work is that we're on this earth to do. We have to be so ruthlessly committed to that vision that we are willing to make difficult no's. We are willing to say, yes, this project or this opportunity is amazing. And I'm still saying no, because I'm going to be spread way too thin and not going to have the impact that I want. We got to be ruthless. Mm-hmm. 
after three episodes exploring maker monsters, two things are looming largest in my mind. Two things I know I'll take away from this mini exploration that we went on. Number one, nobody has escaped all their maker monsters. No matter how famous or financially successful, no matter how confident or privileged or beautifully creative they are, everyone grapples with maker monsters. And number two, you can't truly defeat them. Not really. But we do need to confront them because avoidance just won't work. We have to wrestle with these monsters. And when somebody we admire seems to have defeated one, what they've really done is they've learned to turn the wrestling into a dance. They've learned to dance with their demons. And that's what it's going to take. Stop avoiding, start confronting. You might feel like wrestling at first, but eventually you'll learn to dance. That's what it takes to have the impact we want to create the work we feel is uniquely ours to make what matters. Thank you so much for listening. These episodes have been so much fun and I really appreciate the outpouring of support. I think these are the ultimate I feel seen episodes that I've ever done. Um, if you have any thoughts at all on these three episodes or just this one, if you have any questions or comments on the show or any of my work, email me. I'm jay at unthinkablemedia.com and I'm also at jayaconzo on Twitter. I love hearing from you and I always make sure to respond. This episode was written and edited by me, and produced by Alana Nevins. As an independent creator, I rely on the support of listeners like you. So maybe you work for a company that'd like to sponsor this show and my overall creative platform, or you're a fan of the show. I rely on your active role supporting my work. You can leave a review, buy a book or course from my website, or simply send the show to one friend. So thank you in advance for your support. I literally couldn't do the show and keep it free to find and enjoy without your help. So thank you. I'm back soon with a brand new episode of Unthinkable. Until then, keep making what matters. See ya. This episode is sponsored by The Juice, our presenting sponsor throughout the quarter. The Juice curates the best sales and marketing content from around the internet. I'm talking the best names, the best brands, the best thinkers in a beautifully designed hub for great content for your job. It's almost like the Spotify for B2B content. And it also helps you skip endless forms around the internet and just sign up once at The Juice and explore content playlists and content recommendations focused on your work. 
You can find some of the best resources from companies like HubSpot, Gong, Drift, and more talking about the latest trends, the biggest ideas, and tactics that are proven to work, as well as original research, videos, and podcasts. It's all there for you, and you don't have to sort through weird gamified search results or basic ideas spinning across social media. To start accessing the best B2B content on the web, sign up for free at thejuicehq.com. Juice HQ. 